Our scripture today is from 2 Corinthians 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one returns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Thank you, friend. Mm, so glad to be uh, with you all this morning. Um, this concludes a, a six-part series on relationships. Uh, never alone in the family of God is kind of the tagline, and the key word is with, uh, that God has uh, made it possible uh, that we would be with him. Um, ever wonder why the angels hoot and holler when someone on earth turns their life over to the Lord. You ever kind of wonder, like, what's that all about? I mean, it is a big deal, right, that someone turns to the Lord. But, but that, Luke chapter 15 says that they party in heaven when one of us turns to the Lord. I, I just, I think that's a kind of a cool image uh, to really keep uh, before us, uh, that um, heaven and earth are kind of working together for the movement of the gospel message, right? And that's, that's kind of a cool thing. Um, ha have you ever seen how crazy parents and grandparents can be when it comes to kids and grandkids? Have you ever seen that? You know, it's just craziness. And so here's a picture of my daughter. Can you tell that she's my daughter? I mean, we used to have people in the church in Hastings. This one kid would come up and says, she has your face. <laughs> I said, thank you. And I said, sorry, honey, you know, to her. Uh, this is Marla when she, she was just about three years old. And right around uh, the, the time that this picture was taken, I had her at one of these little small malls. There's this little small mall there in, in um, Hastings. And it had one of those merry-go-rounds, you know, the three-horse kind, you know. And, <clears throat> and I had my pocket filled with some quarters, and I, and I wanted to put her on there. And so I put her on there and, you know, told her where to hold on. And then I went and, you know, kind of still with a hand on, I you know, put the quarter in and the thing starts going around. And as soon as she left my hand, she fell into the middle, <laughs> right? 
And the, and the merry-go-round was kind of close to the wall. So here I am literally running around trying. And then, it, and then the wall got real skinny and I slowed me down. And then, and then I, and I could not get her out of there until the dang thing stopped. I mean, I'd come through and the bar would go boom like that. I'd go, you know, and so I, I tried to run around, but I knew I would get stuck back there between the wall and the horse. Uh, so anyway, finally it stops, you know, and she's silent. I'm sure she's like, <laughs> and I didn't have to spend any more quarters. So there was a positive. Um, and so there's, I didn't even know this, but this, this older couple were sitting on a bench uh, in that uh, mall area watching the entire thing. So I'm done. I get her back and I'm holding her. And the guy says, you should have just unplugged it. I'm like, well, why didn't you come over and help? It was too fun to watch, right? It was like, oh my goodness, right? But we'll do crazy, crazy things, won't we? We'll do anything for our kids and our grandkids. They mean everything to us. And so we know a little bit about what it feels like for an angel to hoot and holler when someone comes to know Jesus and their life is completely transformed. And so we know a little bit of that just by, by loving people so deeply and so dearly. And we want the best for them, right? And so what I, what I learned, though, is as much as I loved Marlon and Seth and Leah, and as much as I love Roman and I love uh, Cash and Cade and Lane, as much as I love them, my love is not enough. <sighs> And, and, and even if I say the truth and, and speak the perfect words to them, it's not enough. I'd do anything for them, absolutely anything for them, right? And so, the, so it's kind of this riddle, isn't it? Like here, my heart is just aching. And when I see them suffer or see them have pain or have a disappointment and there's eh, not very much I can really, really do. Um, why? Why I have this, such this, this deep, deep passion and compassion and mercy and love and grace. I just want to lavish them with why doesn't it work? And in that line of thinking right there, we need to think about the Father in heaven, right? Think about his heart and think about your tendency to be wayward and to push him away and to have what life your way. And, and you know, my human heart doesn't even begin to capture at all the heart of my Father, my Creator, my, my Redeemer, right? Um, so it's a riddle. And, and why? Why would Israel, though the father became a husband, it says, we're going to look at a passage, to Israel and loved Israel, committed himself to Israel through all these covenants. Why didn't it work? It's a riddle. Would you agree? Let me tell you another riddle. Have you read the scripture and you read the scripture and you're like, okay, I read a passage maybe in the book of Exodus, maybe it's chapter 18, and you, at the conclusion of, of Exodus 18, you're like, okay, the big deal is I need to buckle down and I need to be obedient to the law, and if I just am obedient to the law, then I'll, everything's going to be okay, right? And then, boy, then I go on and I read Exodus 33, and per, you know, maybe you could read Exodus 33. And in Exodus 33, it says, look, Moses, I know they're stiff-necked people, but I will never leave them. I will never forsake them. Which is it? I got to obey the law in order to make it. Or I will never leave them forsake them. And, and it's not resolved in any of the covenants. It wasn't resolved in the covenant that God made with Adam and Eve. Don't eat of this tree. If you eat of this tree, you know, I'm gonna, I got a relationship with you, Adam and Eve. I walk with you every day in the cool of the day. If you eat this one fruit, you will surely die. That's a covenant relationship. So today, 
I think in this 2 Corinthians 3 passage, I think we begin to taste the resolve of the biblical riddle. And I don't know about you, I want some of that. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that as we get into it, your Holy Spirit would be the teacher. I pray, Father, that we would uh, leave this room with hope, not from a human being, but hope right from your throne room, God. And that we would have some things clarified that maybe has confused us up until these days. Or maybe at points we've, we've figured it out and then we fall back in and we get lost again and need you. And so, Lord, would you come and would you help us do a good job of understanding the principles in this text? In the name of Jesus, amen. Are you ready? All right, we're going to solve a riddle. We're going to solve a big riddle today together. We're going to solve what I would say is the biblical riddle. Which is it? Okay? All right. In verses 1 through 3, 2 Corinthians 3, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You, you can just feel the tension. Paul, Paul's like, I don't know what else I can do to help you guys. I have given up everything. I've come and I've, I've been with you and I've taught you and I've cried with you and I've prayed with you and I've laughed with you. And, and yet, it's not enough. You still, I still feel like you're pushing me away. Do I need letters of recommendation? You ever felt this like this as a parent? <laughs> You know, as, they, as, as our kids get older, the relationship, dad burn it, is, I don't like it when they get older, is on their terms. It's true, isn't it? Do you agree? And those of you who do not agree in the room, I guarantee you, you're having a hard time right now in those relationships. It's just the way it is. They're supposed to grow up. They're supposed to begin becoming responsible for their own, for their own choices and, and, and their own development and growth. And yeah, we want to cheer them on and we do cheer them on. But oftentimes it's just this faint voice in the corner. Same thing with our grandkids. Oh my goodness, do anything for them. I'm so glad when they go home, but I love it when they come. I do. I keep telling myself, Joe, you love this <laughs> when your house is a mess and you are cleaning up peanut butter and jelly from places you didn't even know, things you didn't even know you had in your house. <laughs> right? Oh, but I love them like crazy. But it's a dilemma. As much as I love them, as much truth as I can give to them, it's never enough. Would you agree? You do not possess in and of yourself what they need. Okay, you're not convinced. Okay. Anyway, on their side of it, it feels like on your side of it in a relationship with them, you feel like, well, what am I? Some stinky cheese over here? You don't want no part, part of me? Uh, God can relate to this, by the way. <laughs> Because you probably have done that a little bit to him at a time or two. Hmm? Or is it just me? That God can relate with us on this. Verse 2, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation. Isn't this true? I mean, just stop, honey, for a minute and just think about how much your daddy loves you. As a matter of fact, you're written on my heart. You're in my heart. I don't ever stop thinking about you. Even when I try to stop thinking about you because I'm anxious about something and I, I need to not think about you somehow, I can't stop thinking about you. You're in my heart. True? Let's think about the Father in heaven, too. He's always got you on his heart. You need a reminder of that. Go to Psalm 139. Just read that. No matter what, 
You're not alone. Written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. I have loved you, Marla, Seth, and Leah, with the spirit of the living God. Done the absolute best I could possibly do for you. And it's hard, isn't it? Uh, You know, two out of our three kids are choosing not to walk with Jesus right now. It's hard. But it's not only hard. It's the way it has to be under the sovereignty of God. Because I do not want them to trust Jesus because daddy says they should or to make daddy happy, right? And so it's out of my hands at some point. I'm going to still love them like crazy. And every time I think they might be listening to him, I'm going to speak truth into their life. I'm going to continue to do that. I won't stop doing that. And so um, our heart's desire is that they'd know, trust, and love God, right? But I need some help. (laughs) Do you agree? I mean, not only me. I mean, I do need help. But anybody else need help? If you don't think you need help, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) You're just wrong. (laughs) If you love someone else, if you're a believer in Christ and you have, a, you have a love for other human beings, they don't have to be kids or grandkids. They can be your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, your spouse. <clears throat> you know the pain, how much more you want uh, for that person that Christ offers. And so uh, verse 4 says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Okay, this is, this is when the, the text begins to pivot. It doesn't pivot completely, but it, it sets up the emotion in the first couple of verses, their first three verses there, and it says, this is hard. I'm your parent, I'm your grandparent, I'm your friend, I'm, I'm a person that has loved you like crazy, an aunt, an uncle, you know, a best friend. And it feels like, you've, I feel like when I'm with you, I need some letter of recommendation or you're, you're just not going to believe me. And then it pivots here, doesn't it, in verse 4. You see it? Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. So my focus is not on my kids that aren't responding the way that I think they should be responding. My focus is a confidence towards God. Do Do you feel the pivot? My confidence, and okay, if you didn't get the pivot, he, he explains the pivot next. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves. There's a good clue right there. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Has anybody ever felt inadequate? And I said just generally there, right? Anybody? Can I at least get one of these? Right? To be human is to be inadequate. I would even say that in God's economy, the number one qualification for effective living and ministry is that you will admit your inadequacy. And what I love about that is everybody can qualify. Isn't that cool? Right? This is the way that the scripture has set this thing up. I feel so inadequate. And then you read the scripture, you're like, oh, that's the way I am supposed to feel. Anybody got to like a thank you, God, for telling us the truth about reality? I love this about our God. He sets us up for success. Not by wanting us to be something that we can never be. He understands our situation. He understands the, the depth and the breadth and the width and the height of the, of, the, of the 
catastrophe of sin that wreaks havoc in us and makes us feel and truly be inadequate. Well, I don't know if I like that, Joe. Right? Ugh, I still got a little... Aren't I, like, can I do something? Oof. Apart from Christ, you can do... What, what, what does the Bible say? Apart from Christ, you can do... Nothing. Zero. We don't like that until we become a parent, a grandparent, or somebody that's discipling somebody that's going through a hard time and we would do anything to help them. And what do we do? We double down and try harder and speak louder and clearer and give a new article, a new podcast to listen to. And, you know, if they would just listen to that message or they just meet with that person, right? We'll do anything. But everything is inadequate apart from the sufficiency of God Almighty. Everything. Nothing is too difficult for our God. I need some of that. Every day. In every situation. Because the qualification for effective living and ministry is what? Bible knowledge, right? No! Oh, that you have a really high emotional and relational IQ. Is that the qualification? Not according to Scripture. And so the qualification is inadequacy. Let's get used to it. Let's get used to it. That's the application this morning. Let's get used to it. As a matter of fact, Jesus, or Jesus through the Apostle Paul, read letters in a book a little bit later in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says that his grace is sufficient. Do you remember that passage? As a matter of fact, when I boast about my weaknesses, that's when the power of God actually shows up. When I can, when I can understand my inadequacies and live in the reality that I need Christ in my life at every moment, at every turn, that's when life and ministry begins to work effectively. And, you know, as a matter of fact, I don't even care if I'm ever given a gift. Because... He doesn't really need me. So if, if I happen to have something from his Holy Spirit that can help someone else, I'm like, okay. It's going to be you. Because I am, what's the word? Inadequate. All right, I can move on then. Because we got about 30% of you just responded. <laughs> Verse 6. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant? Okay, now, now we're, we're pivoting a little bit more. He's going to begin explaining how his sufficiency works in our inadequacy. Don't you appreciate that about the text? When I read this, I'm like, okay, okay. There's a way forward in my inadequate life. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Now listen to this. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Interesting text. What in the world is he talking about? Well, he is talking about what God has always done from the beginning of the time to what is today? November, February, February 13th. Oh, by the way, tomorrow, don't forget. <laughs> if you need someone to remember what tomorrow is, good luck with that. <laughs> All right. You listening, Jimmy? All right. Good. Yeah. I'm here for you. I'm, we're here for one another, guys. All right. <laughs> So, 
I think we need to understand the ministry of the new covenant is what this text tells me. I better figure this out. And so God has always worked throughout history through covenant relationships. And a covenant always requires both law and love, both letter and relationship. Okay? That's how it works. And so you have the, uh, we talked about Adam and Eve, the one requirement, the covenant agreement, don't eat of that, don't eat of that, and you'll have life, eat of it, and you'll have death. That's a covenant relationship, right? It's not a contract. The contract just is about laws and policy stuff. When it's a covenant, it has to do with relationship and agreement upon legally binding things. And God is a God who enters into a relationship with you and me through a legally binding thing. Like, that doesn't sound very good. Oh, aren't you glad that you have a faithful, holy God who enters into a covenant relationship with you and he binds himself. He gives up his independence. God gives up his, are you listening to me? God Almighty, how many of you want your independence and you would fight for it? I just, you know, if, if I could just not have people, I'd love this world. And God Almighty gives up his independence for you, for a relationship. And not only an independence, he, he covenants himself to you legally. Oh, right? Law and love wrapped up in a relationship. I'm with you. I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. But the covenants didn't work. The, the covenant with Adam and Eve didn't work, did it? The covenant with Abraham, a few chapters later that we learn about, didn't work. Although that one is still active and it will be consummated uh, at the end of time within the, in the nation of Israel. Don't have time to talk about that. But it didn't work. The Mosaic covenant, which is what we're going to read about in 2 Corinthians 3 right now, didn't work. You heard Dora read it already didn't work it was law and love it says if you obey me i will bless you and it says i will never leave you or forsake you it says both of them and we learn that israel broke the covenant they neither kept the relationship in obedience to the law, nor did they, when they blew it, did they come to the Lord and say, would you forgive me for this? Here's a sacrifice to pay for that. They stopped both sides of the covenant. And they were cast away. They were exiled. And, right? God is still in it. God didn't break the covenant. He's a covenant God filled with law and love all at the same time. And we need both. Otherwise, they don't mean anything. Right? So we're just going to look a little bit here for just a couple minutes because Paul, our author in 2 Corinthians 3, compares and contrasts the old covenant with the new covenant, okay? And I think there's some things in here that we at least need to help us as we pivot our life in hopes of solving the riddle of riddles this morning, okay? But we need to understand a little bit more about this old covenant and what's different about it from the new covenant. Are you with me? It'd be a good time for you to like act like you're listening right now. <laughs> All right. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, what's he talking about? The Ten Commandments, right? We're talking about literal chiseled words on a stone here. Carved in letters on stone. So, so now if the ministry of death, interesting. Like, oh my goodness. I thought that if I just bared down and kept the law, and what that just told us is the only thing that you're doing by bearing down and trusting in the law is you're admitting your death. 
because no one can keep it. No one can keep it. Am I wrong or right? It's death. It was to point to death. It was to point to the inadequacy of a human being, huh? The insufficiency. We, we cannot have any confidence in ourselves, you guys. So now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses, Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? There's something coming. There's something to celebrate in heaven. There's some reason why grandma and grandpas and parents and friends, the people that you're trying to disciple, can rejoice. They can hoot and holler. The angels can hoot and holler because of something. It's not the law, though. But don't we keep trying really hard, like double down? Anybody? For if, verse 9, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, interesting phrase, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. We're beginning to get hints here at the solution of the riddle. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because the glory of that which surpasses it. Something else is coming. The Mosaic, the Davidic, the Abrahamic, the Adamic covenant did not work. They weren't intended to work. They were intended to point to something. Verse 11, For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. I want glory, the glory of God for my grandkids more than I want anything else on this planet. I would die if I could somehow make that happen. Anybody with me on that? with the people that you love in your life? I'd do anything. There's something. Since we have such a hope, verse 12, we are very bold. Here's an interesting switch in the emotion, in the text for the reader it moves from, I'm so inadequate and I'm dead in my trespasses and my sins. And the law only convinces me more and more of how absolute insufficient my life is. But this text, this little phrase says, but now I can have some boldness. There's some boldness kind of on the horizon here. Um, something's happening to give Grand Apajo some Hope here. We are very bold. But it, we're not very bold in our adequacy, though, right? That's been established. I'm not very, I'm not bold in my willpower to keep the law. But I'm very bold. Okay, help me. Help me, Lord, understand this. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Do you see the glory on Moses' face would fade? But their minds were hardened for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Not freedom from my inadequacies. That's not what it's talking about here. That is my ongoing qualification for effective ministry and effective living is to realize that I am humble before this mighty God. 
and I am in absolute dependence on him to work in me. And if he desires to work through me, that's it. That's where my boldness is. It's not in the old covenant, in the old human energy and passion and self-control. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being, tra- are being transformed. It's a passive verb. It's not something you do. The Spirit of God in you is transforming you from glory to glory. So do not look for application here for anything else, but admitting your inadequacy and your ongoing need for God creates in your soul a boldness that works. For this comes from the Lord who is a spirit. Jeremiah 31, centuries before Jesus came, prophesies about the new covenant. Through Jeremiah, who also is the one that said the heart, in, Je- in Jeremiah 17, the heart is sicker than anything. Um, it's it's with, without any value because of, its, because of the, the effect of sin. Says this in Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, hundreds of years perhaps. Jeremiah didn't probably have an idea what he was even talking about. When I will make a new covenant, there it is in the Old Testament, there's hope on the horizon. With the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, though I was legally bound to them with law and love, God said. Though I was a husband to Israel, they broke the covenant. For that, Verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after, the, after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write, here's 2 Corinthians 3, I will write it in their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. Law, I will write that on their hearts, and I will be their God. Relationship, love, because you're going to be my people in this new covenant. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. I will forgive their iniquity. Will you hear the words of the new covenant? I will forgive their iniquity. And then it's not only that. He's like going to bring it home. And he says, I will remember their sins no more. They are totally inadequate. They are dead in their transgressions and their sins. And their only hope is that I make them alive through the ministry of God's Holy Spirit in the New Covenant. The New Covenant solves the biblical riddle. Let me ask you this question for you. Is law unconditional? Oh, this is Joe. I've heard you teach before, and usually at this point you try to trick us, so I'm going to be (laughs) noncommittal. Is the law unconditional? Unconditional in the new covenant. Yes. Unconditional law. Is love unconditional in the new covenant? It's it's unconditional. Both are unconditional. They were both unconditional in the Mosaic law. But that's not how we deal with it. For some of us in the room, we are more under the the thinking in our behavior and our attitudes that the law is unconditional, but the love is conditional. Anybody of you lean to legalistic? There's a certain way things need to be done, and if they're not done this way, to H-E double hockey sticks with them. (laughs) Anybody kind of lean? I know I exaggerate, but let me tell you this. Some of you in the room lean towards legalism. 
right? Some of y'all, love is unconditional. <gasps> Do whatever you want. The Lord will love you no matter what, right? We're relativistic. We're either legalistic or relativistic in our flesh. And we bounce back and forth between those two things all the time. But I have a lean towards love. My bride has a lean towards law. We celebrate one another. We don't drive one another crazy with it. We're learning from one another. We want to grow in Christ because the new covenant brings the law and brings the mercy of God and the love of God together and then makes it possible, not as extrinsic motivation, okay, you better do this or God's going to whack you. Right? Anybody ever live that way a little bit? Oh, I better uh, do this, otherwise God's going to get me. And oh, the reason I'm sick is because, uh, or the reason my kid isn't, uh, right? You drive yourself crazy. And so here's, here's an application for you to live in the new covenant. You and I are going to have to learn to recalibrate our consciences. Joe McConkie needs to intentionally recalibrate. His, I've got my I've got my conscience screwed on a little too loosely in my flesh. Is that making any sense with anybody? I need to, I need to tighten it up a little bit. Because I just want to party with people. I want to have fun. I want you to be okay. Right? And that's only part of the, the deal. It's not the whole deal. Right? Some of y'all need to loosen up the conscience just a little bit. Would you agree? Don't be poking your spouse right now. <laughs> Loosen up, babe. Loosen up, babe. Right? Right? Joe, that's not very, like, concrete. How am I going to do that? Well, uh, it, it, that phrase is helping me. I need to, in every and all situations, continue to, under the new covenant, recalibrate my conscience. I either need to loosen it up a little bit or tighten it up a little bit. Am I making any sense to anybody when I say that? Can I have an amen in the room? Right? The other thing that I need to do, in addition to recalibrating my conscience, I need to critique my culture. If I'm talking to somebody, a Christian, typically, from an Asian culture, they typically are going to be a parent or a grandparent, or a person who leans a little bit more to, you got to do things a certain way. And you do, right? There's, that's half the, the deal. If I talk with most progressive Christians, they're relativistic. Like anything goes. And so I need to critique not only what's going on in my own soul in this area. Am I really being driven by the new covenant? I also need to be aware of that, my, my culture. Right? And, and on the balance, the American culture leans towards relativism. It's I'm an independent soul all by myself over here. I get to decide, right? We're not very conscious of the big picture. So you're going to have to critique your culture. I need to land this aircraft somehow. I think at the cross, Christ, I think at the cro cross of Christ, the impossible happened. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour that's three hours for you math whizzes and about the ninth hour jesus cried out with a loud voice saying eli eli la sac bethany that is my god my god why have you forsaken me and some of the bystanders hearing it the, this man is calling elijah and one of them 
at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after the resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Say, what? When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and, uh, and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. What if at the moment Christ died, the sky became dark? What if there was an earthquake? And what if the rocks split? What if a Roman soldier bowed his knee to the Son of God? What if the curtain was ripped from top to bottom? What if dead people rose from graves and walked the streets? What if everything changed for eternity at the moment of that Christ rose from the dead? What if your life can be transformed and forgiven, saved for eternity? And what if your life on this earth could bear meaningful and lasting fruit? What if that could be true? What if a parent or child or grandma or a daughter or an orphan could have real and lasting hope now and forever by trusting in Jesus? What if what is impossible for humans isn't difficult at all for the human being who will trust not themselves but Jesus Christ? I think at the cross what happened is there was a collision with the wrath of God, the, the just of, uh, justice of God, um, the, the, all, of, all of the law of God and the mercy and the grace and the love of God met at the cross on that day. And what if it really was dark for three hours to get the attention of the human race? And what if there was an earthquake that shook? And what if the rocks were split? And what if that curtain tore from the top, God tearing it, not human beings from the bottom up, God tearing the curtain from the Holy of Holies, allowing every human being free access to the Holy God, no matter who they were or what they had done. What if God is here this morning? And what if you brought into this room a load too heavy for you to bear that you've borne for so long and maybe you have fallen to legalism and maybe you have said, I'm just going to try harder and then maybe this can happen. Or maybe of you, maybe some of you are like, oh, if I just would love more, it could happen. And you continue to be frustrated. Anybody with me? Anybody needs something to happen? Anybody need to... Double down, not on your effort, but on the power of the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Anybody? Anybody need to bring that to him today? Anybody need some God to move in your own life and help you deal with those things that are impossible for you? This is life and ministry in the new covenant, filled with boldness and hope because of our inadequacy, inadequacy, not because we're sufficient. And God knew that the whole time. And he knew that all of us, I almost said all your names on the front row who I love you dearly. For you, knowing your stories, caring deeply about you, knowing that you would need a power greater than yourself to conquer those things that want to take you out. And he's here this morning. He wants to move right into the middle of your situations. Some of you, like, 
don't, don't really understand it yet, and you need to make that first step towards Christ. And you need to say, you're ready today to say, okay, I'm not, I'm not sure I understand as much as I need to, but I'm ready to give my life to Christ today. If there's somebody like that in the room, please don't leave without talking to myself or Daniel or there'll be some other people up here praying. Come and talk to somebody, please. We'd love to help you. Some of you are just in need of some prayer. You've, you've held this burden for so long. And so just even in preparation, so bring that certainly today, but even in preparation of our special time together next Sunday morning, we're going to be together waiting on the Lord and, and worshiping and song, and there will be opportunities for you to bow down to the Lord. So, so this is this you know this is going to be something you're, you're going to you and I are going to need to do on and on and over and over again because life is hard and the burdens just continue to come. Is that anybody's testimony? It just doesn't. It's not like a one and done thing. It's like a lifelong, everyday thing, right? But in the new covenant, it's all possible. And so Pajo does not go to sleep at night worrying about my grandkids that the new covenant isn't enough for them. And, and Pajo goes to sleep every night recognizing that Pajo is inadequate and that God says, that's okay, Pajo. You can rest in me. I love those daughters of yours. I love those grandbabies of yours. I love those people that you're meeting with that are addicted to something and they don't have any hope. I love that, that person that's really going through an incredibly difficult time. I have what they need, and I want, to, I want you to experience that personally, Joe, and I just want you to be a channel of that in other people's lives. Are you ready for that? Let's stand up and let's worship. Let's get Daniel up here and do some worshiping. How about that? Stand on up. Let's hoot and let's holler because there is hope for the human race no matter what the issues are. Are. And so as we sing this song, I want you to be singing from your gut, from your heart, those lower registers of your soul. I want you to say, come Lord Jesus and help me. Pray, would you pray that the Holy Spirit would come in a very specific way for anybody, everybody in this room to give them the hope that they need for whatever burden that they have. Because we serve an incredible God. Nothing is too difficult for him. He made the heavens and the earth by the word of his mouth. He can handle your issue. Let's let him. <laughs>